as we continue this journey on uh, Sermon on the Mount, Gut Check Mountain, we're taking a pause and considering what Jesus said to his disciples even prior to this and even past this time. And we're going to really take a moment and just ask some, some questions about obedience. We're going to ask some questions today. What is it that a, a Christ follower looks like? How do we respond to what Jesus just said over the last five weeks? You know, these statements that he's given us and we ask these questions. Did Jesus really just say that? What is our response to that? And, and so how do we respond to that? Last week, we saw some response to that. We saw people stepping out in faith and saying, I want to identify myself as a Christ follower. I want to I have a point in time where I drove a stake in the ground and said, this was the moment, great bang there. This was the moment that, that I came to Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to, to take the next step. What's the next step after that? How do we respond after we trust that Jesus Christ is our Savior? Let me ask you a question today. What do these things have in common that I'm about to share with you? What, what do these things have in common? A fishbowl, a boat, Kool-Aid, bubble bath. What do those things have in common? Just ponder that again. Think, think about this again. Fishbowl, boats, floats, Kool-Aid, bubble bath. All those things need water. All those things need water to become what they've been made for. All those things need water to reach their full potential. Every one of those things, in order for them to do or become what they've been manufactured to do, they need water. They need water around them. They need to be in water. They need to have water added to them. And so as we walk through this journey today that, that we've been walking up to this moment, there comes a point in our lives where we too need water added to us in order for us to reach our full potential in Jesus Christ. Let me just rewind back in a moment in my life. As a 13-year-old boy in 1975, you can do the math, I'm 50. If you, some of your math people there, I did it for you. Back in 1975, as a 13-year-old boy locked in a dungy room with church hymnals and three other men, 6.30 at night, palms were sweating, knees locking, appearing through this little, little window that was on the stage of this church and watching this man out on the stage called Pastor Thompson looking through and knowing it was going to be my time soon knowing that I was next in line, knowing that I was going to go public with my faith and hearing these words in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And knowing that as a 13-year-old that I too was going to need water or to be dunked in water, immersed in water to become all that I was supposed to be at that point in my life. For each of these things, fishbowl, a boat, a float, a Kool-Aid, bubble bath, and a Christ follower, we all need to just add water to our lives. And today we're going to address that. What does that look like? What does it mean for us to be baptized? Why do we have this tank behind us? Why do people walk in? Why do people want to get water, wet, wet clothes on a Sunday morning? Who wants to leave here wet? What's the purpose behind putting people in water if they've already taken a shower and they've already taken a bath? Why get wet again? What's the purpose behind baptism? Open your Bibles, and we're going to walk through that journey today. And I want you to turn to the book of Matthew in the New Testament. 
Matthew chapter 3. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. If you need a Bible in the main here in the link, hold your hand up. I'll say this again. If you don't have a Bible, take this Bible home with you. I'll also say this again. If you're a Christ follower, we want you to bring your Bible. We want you to dig in with us every week. And so when you walk to Grace Community, we're grateful that you're here. But listen, bring your Bible. If you need a Bible, take this one with you. And if you already have like 10 of them at home because you keep forgetting, bring the nine back and leave one in your, in your vehicle. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read this together out loud. Matthew chapter 3. First book of the New Testament. Go to the middle of your Bible. If you're new to God and new to his word, and it's called the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3. And let's look at verses 13 to 17. Stand with me and we'll read it together out loud. Matthew chapter 3. Verses 13 through 17. Let's read this together. You with me out loud. Ready? Read. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was open, and he saw the spirit of dove descending like a dove lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Let me have a seat. A couple of things from that passage that we need to jump, just take a, a, a moment to consider. Just a few things is that Jesus was baptized. In the moment that he was baptized, God himself had a chance to say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my son. It was a chance for God himself to speak and say, this is my son. If you also look at this passage, you'll see that Jesus came up out of the water. He was immersed in water. He came out of water. So baptisms were seen through this time. You go into the water. You're immersed into the water. Another reference to baptism in the New Testament. Turn over a few books to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verses 38 to 41. Acts 2, verses 38 to 41. Look what Luke says regarding the early church and the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 41. Peter replied, Repent and be what? Baptized. How many of you, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were what? Baptized. And about how many were added to the number that day? 3,000. Just stop and consider that for a moment. It says that those who believed, in other words, they received the truth of Jesus Christ, they repented of their sins, there was a stake moment in their lives where they drove a stake in the ground like it was for many last week, they turned from the path that they were on, they received this free gift of salvation, they believed, they went in a different direction, and then it says once they believed, they were baptized. 3,000 people baptized at once. Just purely from a time. Imagine how long that took. Imagine how long that celebration lasted. People heard the gospel. 3,000 people baptized at one time. 
That would be an incredible celebration. So we see in Scripture, Jesus was baptized. There was the early believers that were baptized. And now we'll see an individual that was baptized. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 in verse 34. Look at Acts chapter 8 in verse 34. Acts 8, 34. It says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, just right above that, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. This is the passage they're referring to. And told him the good news about Jesus. In other words, he shared the gospel. He shared the death, burial, and resurrection story about Jesus Christ. This Ethiopian eunuch responded to that. He trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Then it says this, as they traveled along the road, verse 36, they came to somewhat water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip did what? Baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared as a test and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. The Ethiopian eunuch was baptized, trusted Christ. He had heard about baptism some long way, along the way. And he was baptized, trusted Christ, was born again, new heart, new man. Next step of obedience, he was baptized. Baptism is a step that comes following salvation. Back to 1975, and I think back on that time when I was 13. I can't get past, there was, all of us have these moments, but for me it was an interesting moment in many, many ways because I stood before my peers, before my church, and said, I'm a Christ follower, and I'm proud to say that. But one of the, the, the funny things about this is during that time, I carried away a, a size 40 Fruit of the Loom underwear. And, um, and here's what's funny about that. I wore size 16 probably at the time. I probably wore size 16 at the time. I often wondered what Pastor Thompson preached in prior to that when I picked his dry size 40 underwear and went back and sat in the service. And uh, I didn't realize this till, I, till when I got home because I know he didn't put my size 16s back on. Just a funny moment in the midst of my baptism. We all have those moments. There's an inside scoop at my baptism. <laughs> I'll often wonder. I know what happened, by the way. When I was in seminary, just take your mind off that and come back here. When I was in seminary, I was required to do a lot of word studies as a student. And it required books, quite frankly. I mean, big books, like uh, expensive books. And I owned a set called the TDNT. They're in my library today. Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. They're just books that you would do word studies, and I had to have them so I could do word studies and exegete uh, Scripture. Yet, I mean, but if you owned a set of TDNT as a seminary student, you were like a rock star among seminary students. You got TDNT, yeah, right here. And you like, you wanted to carry them. Here they are. <laughs> and it, it was special to have those. I, I, I earned those and I, and I worked towards getting those. 
But in this, 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 this TDNT is probably one of the best grammatical analysis of Greek that you'll ever find. There's a passage in there that talks about what baptism is. It defines what it means to be baptized. It takes the Greek word baptizio and it defines what baptism is. And here's what it says in a nutshell, what baptism is. Here's what it means. To immerse, to sink, to bathe, to wash, to dip into. So when you hear that, you're getting wet. You're getting very wet. You're, you're standing in water. You're being immersed. The original word means you are sinking in water. And when you look at Jesus' picture of baptism, he came up out of the water. You are surrounded by a body of water. So from that and many other manuscripts, you will find examples of people being dunked. And if you've never witnessed a, a baptism here at Grace Community Church, and today you will, you might ask the question, why do we have a tank? Why are people standing in water? Why are they taking their heads and going under water? What's the purpose behind baptism? Why do we need baptism? Or why should I consider being baptized? In fact, we, you'll see today how we do it. And I want to share why we do, how we do, and the meaning behind baptism today. We trace even the history of baptism back to a time when Jesus was walking on earth. This is really valuable information. So just as my second grade teacher used to tell me for a second when she would go a lot deeper as, a, as when I was eight years old, put your thinking cap on a second. And so I'd put my thinking cap on it, and then she'd give me do better pills, and then I was ready to learn. Anyhow, if I had some do better pills, I'd give them to you right now. But there is a writing that comes from the time of Jesus Christ called the Didache. It's a writing, it's, it's, it's an, the oldest surviving extra piece of non-canonical literature. Let me pause and say what that means. The Bible is canonized. It's without error. It's infallible. And, and it's inerrant. This piece of writing is, means that it's a writing of the day by men of that time. It's not much of a letter as it is a handbook on the new Christian converts consisting of instructions derived directly from the teachings of Jesus. So, this was a writing that was common during Jesus' time. In this book called the Didache, it describes baptism. And for me, that's very important because it takes me back to the time of Christ and I ask the question, how do they do baptisms then? And so we as a church go way back to this time and say, this is the mode, this is the way, this is the why. And in this book, it has three things that cover baptism. And here's what it says. Concerning baptism, it says, baptize in this way. After you have spoken all these things, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, it says, in running water. So it says three times, baptize and of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's this repeated action. Then it says, in running water. Secondly, it says this. If you do not have running water, a stream or a creek or a river to baptize, then do it in other water. If you're not able to do it in cold, then do it in warm water. Praise God for progressive people. So today, we do it in warm water. We take it inside because 
a lot during this time. Church services were handed out outside. Or, and so today we do it inside and we do it in a tank. Then it says this. If you do not have either running water, warm or cold, then pour out water three times on the head. Why three times? In the name of the Father, grab another scoop. In the name of the Son, grab another scoop. In the name of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus shows us even during his time, during this time, that's how they baptize. To us, that's very important here. And so we're not here to say we're doing it best, but that's why we do it. So every time I see the word baptize in the Bible, it refers to someone being immersed in water, doing it three times to recognize the triunity of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, showing the unity of the triune God. Do a thesaurus search on baptize, and you will find words like this. I did a search on thesaurus. What's a word that's similar to the word baptize? Here's what it says. Here's some words that would describe baptism. To name, to describe, to identify, entitle, label, term, dub. So that's what the word baptize means in in another way. If you could say it another way, name, describe, identify, entitle, label, term, dub. It's our way to say, I am labeling myself as a Christ follower. It's for us to say, give me a name tag that says Christ follower. It's as simple as this. When you and I get baptized, we take a name label and we put this on it. And it identifies. We say, I am a Christ follower. I am labeling myself Christ follower. I am a follower of Jesus. So when we get baptized, we are labeled in front of people. Christ follower. It's an awesome way to identify ourselves. So baptism is an identification, obedient step in who we are. Now, here's what I know about baptism. It is our chance to go public. Many people talk about private faith and public faith. Baptisms allows you to go public with your faith. Let me show you what I mean. Turn to Romans chapter 1, just one book over. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul, who was a Christ follower, says this. Baptism is our chance to go public about our faith. Paul said this in Romans 1, 16. I am not, what? Ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who, what? Believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentiles at Grace Community Church. And so that's what he's saying. He says, I'm not ashamed. And so baptism, really, it's our way to say, I'm not ashamed of the one who saved my soul. It's a worship song that we've sung here recently. I'm not ashamed of the one who saved my soul. And so it's our chance to say, I'm a Christ follower. We go from private faith, public faith. Now turn to Matthew chapter 5. Back a few books to the first book of the New Testament. Please turn there. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Matthew 5 and verse 14. I covered this in our first message in this gut check Sermon on the Mount series. Look what it says in Matthew 5 and verse 14. 
You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to who? Everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise whom? Your Father in heaven. And so baptism is also a chance for us to say, you know what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I identify myself as a Christ follower. And in regards to that, if you want to find Jesus, I'll point you to him. We become a light. We stand out. We stand above. We're different than someone who isn't a Christ follower. So when you're baptized, literally, this light of your get, gets bright. It's no longer private. It's not covered by, by a bowl. It's not blown out. It's bright radiant and it penetrates darkness baptism lets us shine our light before others now think about this for a second i believe this with all my heart if a christian is unwilling to be baptized in front of believers he will hardly be willing to stand for jesus in an unbelieving world if a christian is unwilling to be baptized in a safe place called the local assembly, the church. I will guarantee you he will hardly be willing to stand for Jesus in an unbelieving world. You see, baptism says, I'm on Jesus' team. Jesus is my savior. I know who I am and I want you to know that. The call to Jesus not only is a call to salvation, but it's the call to obedience. Baptism is an obedient step. It's the next step in our journey with Jesus Christ. It can be the first public act of obedience after salvation. We use this term in business worlds when a company goes from private realm to public realm. We say, that business went public. There's advantages to going public. It strengthens your capital base as a business. It makes acquisitions easier. It diversifies ownership and it increases prestige. There's power because you collect yourself with more people, with other people. There's also some disadvantages to going public, even in our faith and in businesses. The disadvantages are this. It puts pressure on short-term growth. It increases cost. It imposes more restriction on management and on trading. It forces disclosure to the public. And it makes former business owners lose control of decision-making. So when we're baptized, when we go from private to public, you know what you're saying? I'm accountable now to all other followers. And not only to other followers, but other people who say that they're not believers, but they know we're believers. We have closer examinations of our records of the way we live out our lives. And so when a person is baptized, they come to this tank, you know who they are. And so there's this sense of, I'm a follower of Christ. So when you see them out in the marketplace, when you see them on Monday morning, in the, on the assembly line, you can say, hey, you labeled yourself as a Christ follower. And so does it live out that way when you're on the assembly line? Does it live out that way when you're with your teen peers, when mom and dad aren't there? You're a Christ follower. You go from private to public. Mark 16, 16 is very important regarding baptism and salvation. Turn over to Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. Just one book over. Matthew. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. 
Look what it says regarding baptism. These were Jesus' words. He says this in verse 15 first. Mark 16 and verse 15. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the what? Good news to all creation. Then he says this. These are Jesus' words. Whoever believes and is baptized will be what? Okay. This is where it's often taken out of context. If we stopped right there and didn't read the rest of this verse, we can conclude and deduce from that statement that, that, that a person is saved when they believed and are what? Baptized. But that's not the case. Read on. Read else what it, how he concludes this. Jesus says, but whoever does not believe will be what? Condemned. Now, if Jesus felt like baptism and belief was salvation, then he would have included baptism with this statement that says that he who does not believe and is baptized will be condemned. But he says, whoever believes not will be condemned. So baptism doesn't save you. Baptism identifies you. Belief saves you. So we must keep that important. So the reason people are going to the tank isn't because they want to be saved. They've already been saved by Jesus Christ. It's to identify. It's a step of obedience, which any Christ follower should do. Baptism is also God's way of introducing us. It's one of my favorite things about baptism that often most people never cover. I think this is a really, really special part about baptism, especially in the local church. It's God's way of introducing us. Here's the deal. You may be able to introduce God, but can he introduce you? I mean, we have a chance to say, let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about what he's done in my life. Here's my story. Here's my testament. We introduce God all the time. But God himself doesn't appear in fleshly form and walk into our workplace or walk in and say, hey, these are my kids. Let me tell you about Jim. Let me tell you about Josie. Let me tell you about Bill. Let me tell you about Bob. Let, let me tell you about Linda. God doesn't have a chance to introduce us per se on earth. But baptism is his chance to introduce us. In fact, when Jesus was baptized, God himself was in heaven. And it says, all of a sudden there came this voice who couldn't hardly wait. It was like the first time in scripture where Jesus could, where God could finally say, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. There he is. I just picture him just ready to burst. This is my son. I want to introduce you to my boy, my son. Here he is. And baptism is God's chance to introduce us. Let me help you understand this. I love introducing my children to other people. Any parent does. I love taking my 20, soon to be 21-year-old next month, Josh, and say, this is Josh Brown. This is my son, and I, in whom I'm well pleased. I love my son. I love the way he loves Jesus, and I love how he's hungry after God, and, he, and I love how he, he tries to live out his faith. And, and I love saying, hey, this is my boy. Hey, this is Josh. Come here. This is Josh. I love introducing my precious daughter, Hannah, who's a freshman at Grace, and I love the way she lives out her faith, and I love her vibrancy. I love when she walks into a room and she adds life. And I love saying, look at her. See? She's beautiful, isn't she? This is my girl in whom I'm well pleased. I love taking my 13-year-old son who's an eighth grader, Isaiah, and say, hey, this is the one that's left with Ann and I now. <laughs> Pray for him. <laughs> I love Isaiah. I love the way he loves Jesus Christ. 
I love the way he's vocal in his faith. I love saying, this is my boy. I love introducing. And I, baptism is God's way to say, these are my kids. Hey, world, they're mine. Have you ever thought about that in baptism? And so every time that there's someone baptized, I believe this. I, can, I will never be able to prove this until I get to heaven. But I think God not only gets interested in salvation, but I think when he knows there's going to be a baptism service, he knows it, by the way, in case you didn't know that. He knows when it's going to happen. I think he, he comes to the edge of heaven, and he comes to the edge, and he says, hey, angel, come here. Hey, those of you who have already in heaven with you, come here. Here's some of my kids. There's your brothers and sisters. Let's party. It's God's chance to introduce us. And so today, you'll watch people come and they'll be baptized and they're going to stand the word and God above us saying, that's my girl. That's my boy. Yeah. That's a part of baptism that often gets dismissed, but it's God's way to introduce us. Baptism identifies us also as God's children. That's what Matthew 3.17 told us. Let me, let me try to explain why baptism is important also. I opened this message by saying that, that in order for us to become all that we need to be, in order to be obedient and, and reach our full potential, that we had to add water to our lives. Now, this is a packet of Kool-Aid. Now, if you wanted to just drink some Kool-Aid... Kool-Aid was never meant to just stay in its container like this. I mean, when you stop by a, a, a child's stand at the end of your street in the summertime when they're selling Kool-Aid or lemonade, you say, hey, I'll take some, and they want 25 cents, and you usually give them a dollar because, you know, you like to see the smile on their face. Anyhow, hopefully you do that. But, uh, but they don't hand you, here, have some Kool-Aid. It doesn't become Kool-Aid until... It, reaches, it doesn't reach its full potential until there's water added to it. And so you add water to it. And when you add water to Kool-Aid, it becomes what it was intended to become at its fullest and greatest potential. And by the way, I don't have red Kool-Aid, and I'm not going to ask anybody to drink it today. Some of you got that. A lot of you didn't get that. Everyone 20 and under doesn't even know who Jim Jones is. But anyhow, now you're getting it. But anyhow, it's great Kool-Aid. But in order for this Kool-Aid to become Kool-Aid, you had to add water to it. Otherwise, it's just, it's a packet called Kool-Aid. It laid in its private cupboard, in its private form. But in order for it to get public, it had to add water to it. And then so you knew, oh, that's Kool-Aid. Oh, I could drink. Oh, that's horrible. You could drink that Kool-Aid. Add sugar to Kool-Aid, okay? Illustration doesn't completely run its course. But in order for you and I to become all that we're supposed to be in Christ, we should add water to our lives. Starbucks coffee that's been ground up, it's just coffee beans that have been ground up. It's not coffee until you add water, then you can drink it. A lily pad would dry up without water. A flounder would flounder without water. A raft would be useless without water. But if you add water, you know exactly what it is and you can see it at its best and it goes public and says, oh, 
I'm Kool-Aid. And so baptism lets you and me become what we've been intended to become. Baptism also lets us reach our full potential. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. This is a passage that most people go to when we talk about baptism. Matthew chapter 28, and I'll go there too because I think it's very important. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. These were Jesus' words post-resurrection, some of his last words to his disciples. Look at Matthew chapter 28. Let's begin at verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but somewhat. Have you ever wondered why? Because he had appeared to many already. Here's what I love about this. You know, some people talk about the Bible and say, well, that's just a fabricated story about Jesus. And, and, and they say it, things like, well, they just told the story. Here's what I love about the honesty of Matthew. This is, for me, it really affirms that this is inerrant. The very thing he says, he says, some of them doubted. Now, if you were trying to convince someone to read the Bible, would you put, would you put some of his inner 11 doubted? It shows the humanness of the writer and the humanness of these, of these disciples because they had never seen a resurrection before. So God himself, Jesus himself, is at a distance from him. Look what he does. I love what the Savior does to affirm that, hey, I'm Jesus. Look what he does. It says in verse 18, then Jesus did what to them? Came to them and said. There's this moment where they doubt it, and he probably saw the doubt. So he moved closer. And he got closer. He let them see their eyes. Wow, it is Jesus. And he spoke to them. That is his voice. Jesus even shows the love and compassion of a Savior moving close so that they no longer doubt it. Then he says this to them. Look what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? What's the word? Go and make disciples of all nations. By the way, that's a participle, which could be best translated as going, gone, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, conjunction, and of the Son, conjunction, and of the Holy Spirit, and, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. Jesus says this, by the way, he says it to individuals. He says, the person who is unwilling to be baptized is at best a disobedient believer because this is a command and it's a step of obedience. And if he persists, then there is reason to doubt the genuineness of his faith. Think about that for a second. If Jesus said we should do it, then what are we waiting on? If Jesus says, go and make disciples and baptize, that means not only be going, that means you personally take this commandment and do it. You personally grow. You personally share. If in fact we're not, then you have to ask this question. Either the person is unwilling to be baptized is at best a disobedient believer, and if he persists, then there's a reason to doubt the genuineness of his faith. Many of us have concordances, and there's some that I go to from time to time, and I like to read. And, and for this, I actually went to a, an old resource that I have. And I love what this author had to say regarding Matthew 28, 18 to 20. 
It's John MacArthur, by the way, and this is what he said. Just listen to this. He said, if God's primary purpose for the saved were loving fellowship, he would take believers immediately to heaven, where spiritual fellowship is perfect, unhindered by sin, disharmony, or loneliness. If his primary purpose of the church for the saved were learning of his word, he would immediately take believers to heaven, where his word is perfectly known and understood. And if God's primary purpose for the purpose for the saved were to give him praise, he would again take believers immediately to heaven where praise is perfect and unending. Then he says this, there is only one reason the Lord allows his church to remain on earth, to seek and to save the lost. Just as Christ's only reason for coming to earth was to seek and to save the lost. As the Father has sent me, he declared, I also send you in John 20, 21. Then he says this, Therefore, a believer who is not committed to winning the loss for Jesus Christ should re-examine his relationship to the Lord and certainly his divine reason for existence. Fellowship, teaching, and praise are not the mission of the church, but are rather the preparation of the church to fulfill its mission of winning the lost. Just as athletes' training should never be confused or substituted for actually competing in the game, which is the reason for all the training. And so MacArthur says this, the purpose of the church is to bring lost people to Jesus. Now, this is a man that's known for his biblical teaching. Back to this. Here's what I know regarding this passage here. We should, we should personally be baptized. And this is where we get why we baptize people here. You'll watch people today, and they'll be baptized. And you might ask the question, how come Pastor Jim's not baptizing everybody? How come Pastor Rich and Pastor Jeremiah and and, and Pastor John and Pastor Jeremy, why aren't they baptizing? Because this commandment was given to disciples. That's us. And so if you walked in here today and you wonder why you'll see a man baptize, a father baptize his kid, because guess what? He's encouraged to do so. And if you see a woman that's led another woman to Christ, it's the discipler baptizing the disciplee. She's fulfilling the great commission. And so I often encourage fathers who have, who have children that are saved, hey, I encourage you to baptize your children. You're the spiritual head over that family. Take Matthew 28, 20, 18 to 20 and live it out. That's why you'll see in our tank, you will see people who led people to Christ baptizing them. And you might wonder, how come the pastors aren't? Because we be in the biblical authority of Jesus Christ and the biblical authority of Jesus Christ says it's an individual command. It's a beautiful picture. And so you'll see that happen even in our tank today. Baptism connects us to the rest of the world. I want you to do something right now. In fact, it identifies us. It lets us know where we're made. Go to the person beside you and just look at their, their tag in the back of their shirt. Just look at where they made it. Made in where? It's probably Korea or Japan or USA or... It says where it's been made. All right, single guys, come on back to me now. Say, finally a chance to get close to this girl. Come back here. In Jesus' name, come back. (laughs) Baptism, here's what happens. It lets us know and the world know that we're made in heaven that we are stranger and aliens here that this isn't our home it's just a place we're traveling through it says i belong in heaven i'm made in heaven it identifies our origin and our home that is awesome 
That's what baptism does. Some other clarifications, and I'll wrap this up. Baptism comes after salvation. It does not save you. It identifies you. So, if you've been baptized, it should have been post-salvation. Also, some of you, I would encourage you to listen to this truth. If you've come to Grace Community, you'll see that we dedicate our children. We don't baptize our children. And here's why. Because nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, is there any example where it says or command to baptize babies. There's examples of dedicating your children to God, and that's what we do. And so we don't baptize children. We dedicate them. We challenge the parent to live in authority, a godly home and influence. But you won't see us baptizing infants because it's not a biblical commandment or step of obedience in the Bible that you and I see as the 66 books of God's actual words. So here's what that means. Some of you in this room were baptized as infants and you think, I've been baptized. Listen to me in the kindest way I can tell you. That was a dedication. You can't, baptism follows salvation. Baptism says, there was a point in my life where I trusted Christ. Now I want you to know that. There's no way a six-month-old, a nine-month-old, a one-year-old could ever, ever, ever trust Jesus Christ and understand what's going on. By the way, you're not at fault for that. As a six-month-old, you had no say in it. As a one-year-old, you had no say. But if you're banking on that as your baptism moment where you identified yourself with Christ, as kindly as I can say it, listen, that was a dedication. It wasn't a baptism. Baptism comes post-salvation. It's a huge step of obedience. By the way, it can be repeated also. In order for you to be at your best, you must add water. Today, some people are doing that. In fact, if you're being baptized, would you just work your way up over here to the left? If you're being baptized. Today, some of are taking the step of baptism. Let me speak to the rest of you in the room. Maybe for the first time you're hearing this message and you're realizing that I've had this private faith for way too long and there's been a fear to go public. And maybe you're asking this question, why haven't I been baptized? Maybe you're in this room and you were baptized as an infant and you're realizing that was a dedication. That wasn't even a baptism. And you're realizing in order to go on this journey with Jesus Christ and the steps of obedience, then, then I should be baptized too. Well, we're going to give you that opportunity right here today. We did it in the first service and we had people come forward. We call them spontaneous baptisms. You walked in not knowing that you were going to be baptized, but the Spirit of God laid something on your heart. We have a lady, by the way, who came up to me. Incredible woman of God. Just incredible. You look at it, that's a woman of God. She says, I realized for the first time I was baptized as an infant and I thought that was my salvation or my baptismal experience and it wasn't. I'm getting baptized today. So we had people walk in, just get baptized. I'm gonna encourage you. Why not go public today? Why not leave this building in your wet clothes? And by the way, you'll get noticed. Wow, there's a follower of Christ, wet. It's your chance, your opportunity. We have towels, we have robes, it's warm water. 
It's a body of believers. So if you're in the link or you're here in the main, we ask you to just join the rest of these people. Take that step. Listen, if the spirit of God is pumping in your heart right now, don't quench the spirit. Be baptized. Father God, thanks for this day. Thanks for what you're about to do. Thank you what you've already done. And Jesus, I pray in an unusual way that you will move. Thanks for this opportunity, God, that we get to rejoice as brothers and sisters in Christ where people say, I'm not ashamed to stand publicly in front of people and let them know that I am a follower of Jesus. I also pray, God, right now, in this room, I know, and in the link are people who need to work their way over here. Set aside fear and just go public in baptism. I pray, God, that they would listen to your voice and respond and do so. Thanks, God, for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name.